today on the Dental Experience Podcast. You've done uh, multiple businesses. I'm sure in all of those, they haven't all been successful. The more revenue, the higher success the business went, the lousier my life got. I am a millennial, and it's true to see this shift where people are all about these causes and investing in things that are bigger than themselves. Shut up, sit down, don't make waves, live invisibly, and go out quietly with a gold watch. Creating a legacy, and what does it mean to have a legacy? And I can eat the darn ice cream anytime I want, and mom's not going to yell at me. This is the Dental Experience Podcast. Here's your host, Ryan Vett. Welcome to another episode of the Dental Experience Podcast. I'm so excited to have with me a very special guest, Chuck Blakeman. So Chuck is just an inspirational individual who is a serial entrepreneur, a social entrepreneur, and really focuses all of his businesses on making a difference in the people that those businesses serve. And he's a best-selling author. He writes for Inc. Magazine. He's got an awesome TED Talk on his website. If you have not yet been to his website, highly recommend that. I think he just got off the treadmill, or at least that's the uh, the name of his new podcast and new seminar. So uh, give a warm welcome to Chuck. Thanks for having us. I'm excited to be with you. I am too. And I know we're going to talk about how we can really practice leadership to rehumanize dentistry and really bring it back to why a lot of us joined the industry, either as professionals, practitioners, or as uh, the industry side of things. But before that, you've got this new thing called Get Off the Treadmill. And I have to know, A, where did that come from? And B, could you tell us a little bit about it? You bet. Yeah, I'm on the business side of dentistry. And uh, I built, uh, before I got into to the dental industry about 10 years ago, I, uh, I, was, I was a serial entrepreneur. I built 12 businesses in eight industries on four continents. And uh, my, my marching orders were, why do what others can and will do when there's so much to do that others can't and won't do? And in my experience in my first four or five businesses, every time I built something that was successful, the more successful it got, the faster my treadmill went. And I never, mm. and, and I would start again thinking, well, you know, this will be different somehow. And it never was different. It's just the faster the business went, the more revenue, the higher success the business went, the lousier my life got. So in my sixth business, I don't even know, I had no idea how I was going to do it. I just resolved starting my sixth business. I am not going to live this way again. I don't know how this is going to happen, but this business is going to serve me. I'm not going to be owned mm. by the business. I'm going to own it. And I'm not going to own a job. I'm going to own a business. And to that end, I said, I don't know how I'm going to get to do this, but this, every one of my businesses have produced only money and they have robbed me of time. I'm going to wow. figure out how to get a business that builds, that gives me both time and money. And I'm going to figure out how to make more money in less time. So that was my marching orders for myself in my sixth business. And off I went. And I got it my first try. And it wasn't because I was any smarter or any luckier. It's just because I changed my intention. For five businesses, I intended to make money and work really hard. And what I got was hard work and some money. In my sixth business, I intended to get off the treadmill. And I got off the treadmill. So that's the genesis of that. And then I had friends who wanted to help, wanted me to help them with that. And that became a book in 2010. It was a, a a bestseller, beat out a lot of books by very famous authors like uh, Bo Burlingham and Seth Godin and others like that that year. And and somebody in uh, yeah somebody in dentistry was reading that book in 2010, I think it was, or 11, and missed an airplane by about two hours. They were so engrossed in my book, Making Money is Killing Your Business was the name of that one. And they were so engrossed by it that they missed the airplane by about two hours. They took a picture of the book in an empty concourse and said, this book made me miss my airplane. And <laughs> 
they were very well connected in dentistry. And so a lot of dentistry people picked up the book and I ended up speaking at some conferences and off I went. I figured out I really like being in dentistry. So we shifted our focus over here. and We've been here ever since. That's great. I mean, that's similar to me. I grew up in my career, not in dentistry at all, doing consulting and speaking in, in business leadership and entrepreneurship and marketing. And then married a dentist or a dentist in training, then got involved as an executive at a dental company. And uh, before I knew it, I, I too was engrossed in the dental space. And I, I shifted my personal consulting uh, and speaking career to the same thing that you did, Chuck, shifted it to dentistry. Because once you get in, it's a pretty fantastic industry and it's hard hard to uh, leave it. Well, and it's I I appreciate that, Ryan. It is absolutely uh, something about dentistry and dentists that they actually have a passion for their patients, and I don't find that in some parts of medicine. But uh, the thing that really attracted me was how how married my thought of getting off the treadmill was actually with dentistry, and how hmm. how well suited dentistry was for the idea that they could actually get to where they choose to do dentistry or choose to lead an organ. You know, whatever you want to do, you want to lead the business side, you want to stay in the operating you figure that out and then we'll get you to where you get to choose to do that rather than have to do it. It's the difference yeah. between being a hostage and a prisoner. And so we, we work hard at getting them off the treadmill personally. And then we rehumanize the rest of their practice by giving everybody their brain back, which furthers their mm -hmm. ability to get off the treadmill. Cause that's the biggest issue we have. We think we have to be involved in everything. Yeah, that's so true. And earlier than we had Dino Watt on, and he talked a lot about creating a legacy and what does it mean to have a legacy. But Chuck, a couple minutes ago, you just mentioned this idea of success and you were chasing after success. And uh, one of the lectures I'm giving for the first time this year is talking about chasing significance over running towards success. Sure. I would love to hear a little bit about your perspective uh, because it seems like we're very much aligned. It's easy to start uh, these businesses. We've got that drive. We want to do that. But Often in doing that and pursuing what the world says is a success uh, standard, we wear ourselves out and we feel the opposite of success. So could you talk a little bit about that and maybe some tips you have? Yeah, I think everything we everything I've learned about this stuff is traced back to the industrial age. It seems that the factories are to blame for a lot of the things we have messed up in our heads about how business works and, and what success is. And the factories taught us that success had to do with money. They had to teach that because they robbed people of their time. They, If you want to make more money, you spend more time, not invest, but you mm. spend. We were not paid for results. We were paid for time. Show up for eight hours and you get $4 an hour or $12, whatever it is. And we got that mindset that we're being paid for time rather than results. First time in the history of man, by the way. For th thousands of years, free people all over the world got paid for results. How many shoes mm -hmm. you made, how well you made them, and how happy your clients were, that's all you got paid for. Nobody cared how long it took you. And all of a sudden we get into factories and it's all about time and it's been about time ever since. And to the point where we actually think that the way to build a, a great dental practice is to spend more time at work. Warren Buffett doesn't suffer from that disease. Uh, uh, Richard Branson doesn't suffer from it. We don't need to either. We need to figure out how to make more money in less time. So success was ill-defined, and they, they defined it as he who dies with the most toys wins. Well, we've tried that and found it wanting, and so we've come up with a different understanding of success. The, the factory system, the three S's of the, what we call the industrial age are safety, security, and stability. That's what success was supposed to be, safety. Live in the suburbs. Don't live with the icky people downtown. <laughs> and then security, have a big wad of cash in the bank. And then stability. Every day should look the same. Predictability. 
if you have those three things, safety, security, and stability, you have a great life. Well, when you think about the where those things are on Maslow's hierarchy or any other hierarchy of needs, they're at or near the bottom. But that's what my mom taught me because she didn't have any of them. She was a depression baby and safety, mm-hmm. security, and stability were, she was looking up at those things. So that's what the industrial age factory system taught us to chase was safety, security, and money. Get into the suburbs, have a big wad of cash, and every day should look the same and you'll somehow magically be happy. And that's absolutely not the truth. So the fourth S of what we call the participation age is significance. And that's the one that we ought to be chasing. That's the one we were made to chase. Uh, millennials are the, the, the first generation uh, since the factory system that have not grown up in the shadow of the industrial age. And so they were not taught like we were, at least I was. I was taught, shut up, sit down, don't make waves, live invisibly, and go out quietly with a gold watch. Huh. That's what we were taught. And millennials just say, wait a minute. I'm not going to work to make money anymore. I'm going to work to make meaning. I, I don't need to go to work to make money. There's a lot more safety, security, and stability in the world today than, than you had. And so I'm not interested in those things. I want a position where I can go to work and make meaning. And success is redefined as having a, a practice where you can walk out at the next the end of the day and say, I made a difference and we made a difference. And our legacy is we're going to make a difference even long after I'm gone. So it's about making meaning, not making money. That's so good. And that's so true. And I am a millennial and uh, it's true to see this shift where people are all about these causes and investing uh, in things that are bigger than themselves. And so I think everything you just said is spot on. And by the way, you make more money doing this. So it's not like you make less. If you focus on making meaning, you will make more money. That's why I named my first book, Making Money is Killing Your Business. Because if you're chasing money, it's the wrong reason to be in business. That's why I love dentistry. So many dentists really, you know, they're not in business to make the money. And because of that, they can make a lot more of it. You know, balancing the demands of the office with personal lives is tougher than ever right now, especially. One way to help make that easier is by working with a lab partner that you can count on. Trident Dental Labs offers a full range of services, and they have more than 30 years of experience helping doctors throughout the entire U.S. They work hard to be a complement to your practice and not add stress to your day, and we know how important that is. Their cloud-based account portal, it gives you 24-7 access to make scheduling pickups and tracking cases simple and fast. Plus, their technical support team is standing by seven days a week if you have any questions or, or run into some trouble. Now's the time to upgrade your dental lab experience. Plus, for a limited time, Dental Experience podcast listeners, and that's you, you can write the code Dental Experience on your first case, and you can save up to $50. Simply visit tridentlab.com slash D-E-P for more details. That's tridentlab, T-R-I-D-E-N-T-L-A-B.com slash D-E-P, as in the Dental Experience podcast. Now let's get back to the show. And it's easy in a career to get sidetracked by, especially not in dentistry where there's not a, a huge ladder to climb, but even so, opening multiple practices or, or hitting certain revenue targets, there there is that innate desire to to do more, to be better, to become bigger. In that process, you can easily put profits before people. You can put profits as your primary goal instead of focusing on people and the reason we all are in the industry uh, that we want to be in. So what's a piece of advice you have for course correcting? If someone starts getting led astray by the allure of uh, money over people. 
Yeah, it's a great question. The number one issue we have in life and in dentistry is that we make decisions based on the short term, not on the long term. That's pretty much the fundamental issue, the tyranny of the urgent versus the priority of the important. The long-term things are always important, but they're never urgent. The urgent things are always urgent, but they're never important. And so we figure out, how do I pay my lease this month? How do I pay my people? How do I take home some money? Let me do it again next month. And we wonder why we're still in the same place five years from now. The mantra is this, the question is, is this, are you making decisions based on where you are or on where you want to be? If you're making decisions based on where you are, where do you think you'll be next year? In the same place. So the advice mm. I would have is we need utter clarity about what we call a practice maturity date. Not when we leave the practice, but when it's really serving us the way we want it to serve us. What does it look like? How much time and money is that practice throwing off and how much significance is it creating for me and others in the world around us? The formula is T plus M plus E. I sorry, time, money, and energy equals significance. So how much time, money, and energy do I have at the end of the day to create significance in the world around me with my family or, or in a nonprofit or whatever it is? I need to figure out what I'm doing this for. On the back of my mm-hmm. first book, I wrote, I wrote this big statement, use your business, or in this case, use your practice to build your ideal lifestyle. Most of us feel used by our practice. So we need to figure out what we want, turn the whole thing on its head and decide we're going to use it to get where we want to get in the world and where the, the people around us want to get. That's the, biz, the lesson I learned in my sixth business. The first five businesses, I created them to the point where all of a sudden they were using me. And uh, I wrestled this one, uh, the sixth one to the, to the ground and said, no, you're going to serve me and you're going to serve the people around us. And we built constraints and rules to make sure that would happen. So that's the, that's the number one thing is uh, we call it the big why. Uh, lifetime mm-hmm. goals, the ideal lifestyle is built on lifetime goals. What do you want? Uh, you know, what do you want as your legacy? And why are you doing this in the long run? The things that we call the lifetime goal, you know, it's a lifetime goal because you can never check it off as complete. So what mm-hmm. are the things you can never check off as complete? Having great relationships, building a nonprofit that'll go on when you're not here, uh, solving poverty in Africa, being a great mom. All those things are things you can never check off as complete. And that's what life is about. Use your practice to get there. So figure out what you want in the long run and then use today to build tomorrow. That's so good, Chuck. Listening to your TED Talk, people can obviously get a lot more inspiration from you and learn a lot more about you. But in your TED Talk, you said something interesting. And I want to bring that up here. And you're kind of going through talking about companies and what if a company had no HR? What if a company had basically no boundaries except just beliefs is how you ended it. But in that, you talked about titles and responsibilities and what if people were self-managed by this idea that there's something bigger, more significant. How would you, because you talked a lot about just now the practice owner pretty much and talking about their significance and what does that mean? There's a lot of other people in the practice. You've got the front office team members, you've got hygienists, you have assistants, you might have associates, and you have the people that interact with the practice every day. Those people don't necessarily have the title of owner, and, and it right. might be more difficult for them to you know, find their significance. But what advice do you have for those people? Yeah. We have two, two summits that we do on a regular basis. We switch them on and off. The first one is for the practice owner to get them off the treadmill. How do they personally get more time, money, and energy out of this practice? And the second around the idea of, of rehumanizing the workplace and giving everybody their brain back so that they all get off the treadmill. How do we get people to the highest and best use of their time within our practice 
By extension, that continues to get the dentist further off the treadmill. But the biggest problem we have in business is engagement. 30% of people at work are, are engaged. That means 70% are phoning it in. They're just coming in for time. If I put in my time, I'll get paid. And only 30% are saying, hey, how can I knock it out of the park here? If you had a machine that was working at 30%, would you just put up with that? It's been this way for years. But the reason it's that way is we made it that way. It's not because people are stupid and lazy. It's because we make them stupid and lazy by not allowing or and requiring them to use their brains and make decisions locally. The simple process here is distributed decision-making through DDM teams, distributed decision-making teams. The front desk should be making decisions that the front desk has to own, not as a vacuum. They should make them in concert with everybody else in the practice. We live in community. This isn't Lone Ranger stuff. This is community <laughs> stuff. But it's about the, the front desk making decisions, making the final decision along with all the input they get from everybody, including the dentist who has to be happy with that. And the hygienist is the same thing. And we make decisions where they have to be carried out because input equals ownership. Input equals ownership means that I get to be an adult. If I get to make decisions, it's the one thing, if you think about it, Ryan, what makes us an adult? What defines adulthood more than any other thing? It's I get out of college, I get my own apartment, and I can eat the darn ice cream anytime I want. And mom's not going <laughs> right. to yell at me. It's decision making. And what do we do to, to people at work? We take all that away from them because we're pretty sure they can't handle it. So we teach people how to create. We teach the dentists and the teams how to recreate these uh, distributed decision-making teams that, that were there before the factories. And we teach people how to get to rehumanize their workplace and give everybody their brains back and do simple things that create horizontal dependency on each other as community at work rather than a vertical dependency on the one guy or woman at the top who's wearing themselves out trying to be the dentist and run this practice and make all the decisions. We've got to give people their brains back or they will not be engaged. Hmm, that's so good. And I appreciate you sharing. And I would love to talk, shift gears away from dentistry. You've done uh, multiple businesses and I'm sure in all of those, they haven't all been successful and I would love to learn, you know, we, we always see people uh, with these long resumes, Inc. and TED Talks and everything else that's so impressive from bestselling books and all of that. But it's hard or it's easy to forget that they've also had their, their failures. You think of Michael Jordan getting cut from his basketball team or Walt Disney's drawings getting rejected from his high school school newspaper. So quickly, uh, and it, you don't have to be very specific, but I'd love for you to just share one failure and how you learned from that and how that helped your career go even further to realize that significance is more powerful than success. Yeah, it's a great question. And, and uh, yeah. I learned more from what I did wrong than what I've done right. I think everybody does. And anybody who tells you that they had an easy road and, you know, and gives the impression that they got to where they are by just rainbows and unicorns is, is blowing smoke. Right. My biggest failure was that I was uh, born left-handed, right-brained, ADHD, and dyslexic. <laughs> and nobody knew that stuff when I was a kid. And so at the, as a result, I graduated at the very bottom of my class. They actually had me in the principal's office deciding whether they would let me graduate. It was that bad. Wow. I think they kicked me out so they wouldn't have me another year. So I was another unmitigated failure coming out of, out of high school. That was my failure was mm. that I was a failure. Just if there were 524 jobs and 523 kids 
uh, or tw- 525 kids and 524 jobs. I'd be the last kid standing out of my high school class who would not have a job. I, I wow. was convinced of it. So I actually went into the army because I figured out they're the only people I know they have to take me because you know, I've got a, I've got a high school diploma. <laughs> so it took me 19 years to get my bachelor's again, being ADHD and dyslexic and left-handed and right-brained. I went to music school and did whatever I could to figure it out. And, and along the way I started my first business and it seemed to go okay. And I started a second one that seemed to go okay. And, and sure, I made mistakes along the way. I actually never had a business that lost money until I invested in, in a non, a not-for-profit, hundreds of thousands, if not more, in a, in a not-for-profit to solve poverty in Africa. And that's the, the one colossal failure I've had. And even that, I don't call a failure yet because there's still a possibility it could work. But hmm. uh, lots of things have gotten in the way of that. Um, but what I learned was uh, from the, from being a failure was that uh, the key to being a success is not how smart you are and it's not how lucky you are. It's how relentless you are. So the word relentless defines my life. And I'm writing a book in my head right now and it's called Relentless. Mm-hmm. And it's about that. And, and I found some 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 incredible tear-jerking dentist stories about the same kind of thing where they had to struggle through the same you know, the same backgrounds to get where they are. So that's my, that's my lesson to everybody is uh, it's not about how, how smart you are, or how lucky you are. It's about, will you get up? Like Winston Churchill said, leadership is getting up one more time than you got knocked down. That's so good. And there's uh, two episodes from season one that should definitely make it into your book. You've got Dr. Christina Rosenthal, who, who told, was told that she wouldn't amount to much and has created an incredible career and uh, a program called DDS, which is talking about uh, determined to be a doctor someday, and she invests in children who normally wouldn't be able to go to school for any number of reasons. And uh, Dr. Bill Simon out of Chicago, who's been held up at gunpoint, who's had practices burned down, embezzlement, and everything else. But in both of their cases, just inspiring stories. So I think uh, you should definitely chat with them about your book and and see if they could play a role. Oh, absolutely. I, I want to get those stories from you. You bet. Yeah, absolutely. And Chuck, just to, to wrap up here as we're we're getting low on time, I, I heard that you had a heart attack that really changed the course of your life. And I would love just in closing for you to tell us just a little bit about that and how that's changed your trajectory. Sure. Well, you know, what it did was confirm my trajectory more than anything. It changed my diet trajectory. I found huh. out that sugar was a drug and a poison. I was very disappointed because I really liked it. So so I went off sugar and I was already uh, very fit. In a lot of ways, I was riding my bike 10,000 mi- miles a year, bicycle, mm. and uh, doing all kinds of crazy stuff like that. But I lost 25 pounds just getting off of sugar. But what it did well, it was sitting in the, in the uh, emergency room when the doctor told me I was having a heart attack. I said, cool. <laughs> and I looked at myself and I was surprised. I said, what, what's going on? And he said, yeah, you're, yeah, you'll be in surgery in another 30 minutes. I said, or in 20, 30 minutes, I said, do I get to watch? <laughs> and the guy looks at me and he looks at the nurse and he says to the nurse, this is the happiest guy I've ever shared this with. And he walked out. And when he was walking out, I said in my side of my head, hey, I'm ready to go, aren't you? It was a complete surprise to me, Ryan. But what it did was confirm to me, I've said all my life, that I want to live a life that uh, if I go today, it was a life worth living. Mm. And I got a chance to try that. You know, nobody wants to try, but I got a chance to try that on for size in a real life situation. You could die today. 40% of people die the day they have their first heart attack. And my response to that was, okay, I'm not, I don't want to go, but this was a life well lived. So it has confirmed that every day is precious 
and and every day you could not be here. And boy, you want to be able to stand up and say, okay, I, I don't want to go today, but if I have to go today, I'm ready. So I plan to live till I'm 120. That's my <laughs> objective. Uh, the first person to be uh, to live to 150 was born like eight years ago, so I'm not being greedy. 120 is good. But if I go before that, I'm ready to go any day because this is a life well lived. Let's live every day figuring out what do we want in the long term? What is our big why? What is our lifetime goals? And let's live every day. Let's use today, use today to build tomorrow. That's great, Chuck. Well, I appreciate you sharing so many personal stories that really are inspiring and can help us. Uh, just shape our, our own career and our own goals in, in moving forward. So I appreciate that. And you have a lot of other good things to say. Uh, so how can our listeners get in touch with you or learn more about some of the seminars or some of the, the places where you're speaking? Yeah, real simple, chuckblakeman.com, B-L-A-K-E-M-A-N, chuckblakeman.com. That's great, Chuck. And if you do go to chuckblakeman.com, which I hope you do, a uh, link is in the show notes right now for you. Check out his TED Talk. It's excellent. Uh, definitely worth worth watching. But Chuck, it's been a real pleasure having you on the show today. Thank you so much for coming. All right. It's been a guest. Thanks for having me. Yep. And everyone, thank you for listening to the Dental Experience Podcast. Until next time. Thank you for listening to the Dental Experience Podcast. For show notes, to ask a question, or for more information, visit www.thedentalpodcast.com. The ideas discussed during this episode are the opinions of the participants and do not serve as legal, financial, or clinical advice. Until next time, this is the Dental Experience Podcast.